Hey friends, just a quick reminder that this Saturday night, December 2nd, I'm going to be doing a live Q&A at Badger State Brewery, 7 p.m., probably for about an hour, although I will definitely stay later if people want to continue to chat. Q&A, meet and greet, grab some great beer. I'm sure the Big Ten Championship game is going to be on as well, so should be a great time. Again, 7 p.m. Central this Saturday, live at Badger State Brewery in Green Bay. Hope to see you guys there. minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to an all-new episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. It is Friday, and you know what that means. It is Mike Wall Friday. You, of course, can follow him on Twitter at Mike Wall68, former Packers guard, Packers film breakdown extraordinaire, and favorite ho- or favorite guest of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. Mike, welcome back to the show. How the heck have you been? Been great, Andy. Like we were just talking some uh Thanksgiving, probably my favorite holiday. Uh, had it started a fire this time, you know, for real, like a for real fire. So, uh, yeah, I guess par for the course in the wall house. It's amazing. It was a fantastic story. Uh, but, uh, certainly, you know, you get a little action from the Thanksgiving fire, but, uh, you also get a little action from Packers Thanksgiving day win mm-hmm. with a huge win against the Detroit lions. Mike, last we talked green Bay's three and six, they have lost five of their last six games. In their four games, or they had gone through a four-game losing streak, you know, and then in their last four games, they've won three of their past four. Like, things have turned around in a pretty interesting and sort of significant way. I just kind of want to get your overarching thoughts of, like, what's been different for this team over the course of the past month? It's a great question. I think there's there's layers of answers. The first I want to – that's most important to address for me is – I think the last two weeks, Matt LaFleur and the offensive coaching staff have had the best game plans of the year. I don't think it's even close. I think they're just they're they're finally kind of figuring out. And we, like we all knew this was going to happen eventually. Yeah. But the the question, at least in my mind, was always like, how long is it going to take for him to figure out that he doesn't have Aaron Rodgers anymore? And yeah. he's he's kind of figuring it out. And and so they're they're putting people in positions to be successful. And now Jordan Love's becoming a little more comfortable with some pre-snap stuff. Like we, we'll probably get into it later. There's a lot of stuff he still has to work on, but guys are making some plays for him. They're figuring out how to use Jaden Reed. They're figuring out know, Davian Wicks. You know, two weeks ago was amazing. Um, so I think offensively they're just doing some things at a little bit higher efficiency level than they were before. And then on the defensive side, it's just it's the it's a very simple game. And if you win your one-on-one matchups, like. The first time we played him, Agent Aiden Hutchinson tore us up. Yep. This week, you didn't talk, you didn't say his name because Zach Tom is playing really, really well. Like that in itself is like 15 points. I mean, nobody, that's how big of a deal that is. Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary beat the brakes off their first round pick tackles. I mean, yep. beat the brakes off. I mean, Panay Sewell hasn't been beaten like that since his rookie year. And nope. he was, I mean, on the floor constantly. And that makes a difference. Kenny Clark like doing exactly what he should do against backup guards. Devontae White doing exactly what he should do against backup guards. All of that stuff, like we could start scheming and this, you when you start winning the matchups you're supposed to win and you win them decisively, the whole thing gets blown up. So I, I for me, it's like if the players are playing a lot better than they were on defense and then offensively, I really am, I am really impressed with the direction the, the Packers offense is going. Me too. And there's so many things in there that I want to hit. 
one of the things I've kind of been talking about a little bit, and you kind of mentioned it there too, is, you know, the, the game plan you mentioned and just kind of the roles for some of the players on offense, it felt like over the course of the past couple of weeks, they had more defined roles for the Christian Watsons, the Dontavian Wicks, the Jaden Reeds, the Malik Heaths, um, you know, even Musgrave before he got hurt, Tucker Craft. Like they were u- utilizing those players in a way that best suited their skill sets, which really, really excited me. And I thought, again, he had a game plan for those players. He had an overarching game plan on how to attack the opposing defenses. And then to your point, both on offense and defense, Guys went out and did their job, and it's so funny because I mirrored some of the exact same comments specifically on the defensive side of the ball, but it's it's amazing at how much better things look when your really good players go out and play like really good players, and the Zach Toms, the Kenny Clarks, the Preston Smiths, the Rashawn Garys, those guys go out and they just ball the heck out, and obviously Jordan had his best game maybe of his career this past week, and all of a sudden you, you do all of those things together and for the first time we actually see complementary football and we see a team that can actually be dangerous against good teams like the lions yeah no doubt and you and the other thing is you have to at least with this last game because the lions are are you know the lions might win that game seven out of ten times i mean they're yep. they're they're a really good team uh having said at least up to this point i think everybody would be it'd be a safe bet but having said that the way games start really makes an impact and you look at you know, like you look at the first play from scrimmage that's an underthrown ball again. Yep. But this time he makes a contested catch. We have a 53-yard, I mean, momentum swing. And then they have early turnovers. And early, if for, for those the casual fans, if you turn the ball over early, it turns into like your offensive play sheet turns into a c- complete mush. And yep. you just, you're because you're just playing catch up. And like they pad the stats. So they have 460 plus yards of offense. But it's like it's meaningless. They're meaningless yards because you're playing catch up on defense. You're doing some things differently. You know, they can. Oh, we average five yards. Like there's a lot of things that start happening where the the stats start starting getting skewed. You have to you have to have some contextual intelligence. But those early turnovers and just the feeling. The other part of this game that I love is like the feeling that goes through Jared Goff or that entire offensive line. The first time he gets sack fumbled, the second time he gets hit the third time that you're on the floor getting beat like those things. If those happen early, you got, you're literally thinking as an offensive lineman, at least you're thinking like, Oh no, I have 60 more plays left. I've already had three bad plays. Like they're going to, I might get kicked out of the league now. I mean, that's what starts going through your mind. So psychologically that this couldn't have played out better in the first quarter than it did. Yeah. The script was perfect. I love that Matt took the ball, had the explosive play call early in the game. I think it's the antithesis of what happened against Minnesota last year. When you go deep to Christian Watson on the first play, he drops it and it set the tone for the rest of the game and Green Bay could never dig themselves out. This time you throw the deep ball to to Watson, he catches it and it sets the tone in a very positive way for the rest of the game and says, all right, we're coming at you and we're going to, and then they get the touchdown right thereafter. So I think that was awesome. And then the other thing I've been really talking about too is, there, there are going to be mistakes throughout the course of a game. And Matt LaFleur always talks about how imperfect of a game it is. But I thought this is one of the first games, and there was a little bit of this in the Chargers game as well. But when a when a player actually made a mistake in this game, you mentioned the underthrown ball by Jordan Love. All right, he underthrew the ball. Christian said, screw it. I don't care. I'm going to go up and get the ball anyway, and I'm going to make this a successful play. And he covered for the underthrown ball. Later, 
Christian Watson runs the wrong route on the touchdown play to Jaden Reed and love throws such a perfect pass. And Reed makes the contested catch anyway, that it's basically, again, they're bailing a guy out and say, I don't care that you ran the wrong route. We're going to hit this anyway. We're going to get a touchdown out of it. So you actually see some of these players picking up their teammates, even when something goes wrong, where early in the year, it would be like something went wrong for one player. They ran the wrong route or did the wrong thing or couldn't get a contested catch or whatever. And just everything kind of crumbled like a Jenga tower. And now it was like, all right, yeah, one Jenga piece fell out, but we got a lot of other ones that can cover for it. And I saw some of that these past couple of weeks, which gave me a lot of hope and just sort of signs of progress. Yeah, I think it's nice that I, it's always nice when you see your players step up and making plays that are kind of off. Let's just call those off schedule, even though that's probably yep. not traditional what we say, but they're kind of off schedule play, plays that you weren't expecting. Um, the like, Obviously, the downside to that is like luck runs out on everyone. And so you, <laughs> yes. you need to you need to clean this. I mean, even yeah. you watch Patrick Mahomes, you know, for example, like their guys run the wrong routes too. He makes the wrong reads too. If the bad things happen. They don't, they don't score as many points as they should. So they have what, 24 drops this year. I mean, there's, you know, so everybody's got problems. What you're looking for always is, can I win football games playing imperfect football as I'm developing, as I'm building. And that's really, I think, at least from like my perspective is the big question mark for this team, this Packers team, this, this coaching staff was, and Matt LaFleur figure out a way to win games and develop. We can't just have this write-off, you know, Carolina 1-10 and 10 team where it's like, oh, well, we're learning. We got a first-year quarterback and blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, dude, you're losing all these games. Like, like, that's, how get you, that's how you get fired. Yep. So if you can win these games using some of the talent that you already established, how they already have, and then obviously take, you know, kind of spoon-feeding some of this stuff to these younger guys, more defined roles. The biggest moment in the, in the, in the year so far for me, honestly – is when they had Christian Watson run the chair out for the interception, and then it was like a huge backlash from everything, pump pump Omaha, whatever you wanted to call it. Yep. And, and then it's like I th- I I'm just guessing that they were sitting in staff and you going, we're never doing that again. Like let's figure this thing out. That that did not make any sense. And now you see it. Jaden Reed's like the biggest part of our running game right now, unfortunately, because Aaron Jones is out. Yep. Um, and a huge part, a big, a big part of the slot. Romeo Dobbs, 87. Robert Brooks, 87. I see a connection in more, in more ways than one in, in the way that they are, are situated for this team. Like, I, there's just – it really it – really with a young team, having, like you said, having those defined roles, at least on offense, I think really does make an impact on just their ability to upload information and execute at a higher level. Yeah, it's been really fun to watch, and we've seen those signs of progress. And it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of continue that moving forward. Obviously, they've got – a really difficult Kansas City Chiefs team coming up this week, which we'll, of course, talk about as well. It was interesting. A couple weeks ago, obviously, we didn't get to chat last week with the holiday week, but a couple weeks ago, you had posted on your timeline um, that there was a defensive MVP for this team that kind of, I think, something to the effect of that nobody was talking about. You just wanted to know who people thought was the defensive MVP. And knowing you for a while now and talking to you for a while, I'm going through my head and I'm like, all right, who, who, who do I think Mike is is talking about in this situation? The more I thought about it, the more I thought about it, I'm like, I, I bet he's talking about Preston Smith. Um, and then Preston goes out and even has, because I think that was prior to the Lions game, if I remember correctly, correct me if I'm wrong. But And then he goes out and has an even better game, and I think maybe his best game of the season against the Lions. He's got the great spin move. He's got the rip through for a sack fumble. Well, I think, it, I don't know if it was called a sack fumble um, and a fumble recovery on the one, but it basically was. It was the fourth down anyway. Like, he played phenomenal in this game. And I'm not sure if I can quite get there for defensive MVP. I still like Kenny and Rashawn a lot, but I don't really care one way or the other. He's playing really good football, especially over the course of the last eight-ish weeks, and he deserves a ton of credit for the way that he's playing. 
Well, so the week before he played against Rashawn Slater, who isn't playing as well as he was his rookie year because he came back. He's coming off that injury, but he beat the brakes off of that guy. And then he just took care of both the tackles for the line. It, so what people don't understand about Preston is that Preston's your best run player. Period. Yeah. He's better than Kenny. He's better than he, he's better than Rashawn. I mean, if, yeah. if we're just talking defensive line, who plays better in the run? There's nobody who plays better than he does. And this week's a great example of this guy continually pressures the quarterback and good things happen when he's in the game. So he doesn't have this. Rashawn Gary had three sacks. So Kenny caused his first sack. Preston caused his second and he, he got his third. And yeah. what I mean, like Rashawn's earning his sacks. Don't get me wrong, but there are plays, there are players that are influencing where the quarterback has to be because they beat their guys. And Preston is continually that guy who, forces the quarterback to step up in the pocket, who forces him to escape to his right or left. I mean, he just has that that knack of like almost being there. So he's not a stat stuffer, yep. but he's a he's a disruptive player. Pressure equals picks. I, I learned that a long time ago. And so it's for me, it's like it as mo- maybe more important than sacks is how many times can I get the quarterback to make a really bad throw because I'm in duress. Right. And he I think he does that as well as anybody on this team. Um I just like the professionalism he's brought to this. This really ever since his second year, I think he had a, a gut check. His second year here in Green Bay, he had a good first year. Second yeah. year, a bit of a gut check, and I think since then he's just been playing at a high level. Really goes unnoticed. It does, and I do. You know, he's of all the edge players you mentioned, best run defender, but clearly from an edge player, sets the edge better than any of the other edge players on the team. Very, very physical at the point of attack, and I think this is one of the first times all season that we really kind of got to see all of these, you know, pressure players working in tandem, because to your point, if you get one guy that's rushing off the edge or or from wherever and they get pressure, but there's nobody else there, they're getting pushed back or like the quarterback has a place to step up in the pocket or just sidestep. It's great that they get that initial pressure, but sometimes the quarterback can just avoid that. And especially with some of the checkdowns that Green Bay allows underneath, it just ends up either being maybe an incomplete or a, a check down to a running back or tight end. But man, when you collapse a pocket and you've got Preston coming from one side, Rashawn from another, Kenny and Devontae coming up the middle, Carl Brooks coming from up the middle, man, does that change things a whole heck of a lot. And that's where you can go from maybe a a pressure that gets counted on the stature, like the, you know, advanced analytics or whatever, but doesn't show up anywhere else. And all of a sudden getting sack after sack, forced fumble, fumble recovery, turnover, return over for a touchdown, those sort of things. And that really came together in this game. Carl Brooks has been playing great as well. Somebody should, you know, give flowers to. He's, Devontae Wyatt looked great in this game. Everybody played well. Good plays played well. Or good, he's a good art. He played. He played well in this game. Um, this is a team. Listen, I, I, we've been talking about this, and actually, the last three weeks it was interesting. So three weeks ago, linebackers are attacking the line of scrimmage. Right? Everyone's man. This is great because we got we're playing against Pickett and or not. Uh, sorry, what was three weeks ago? It was the game three weeks ago. Uh, uh, the Rams, the, the Rams game. Yeah. Sorry. The Rams game. So we're, we're, we're playing against backup quarterback attacking the line of scrimmage run defense looks great. Super, super physical, just kind of taking control of the line of scrimmage last week. versus the Chargers for whatever reason, we take the foot off the gas and we don't do it. And the linebackers aren't attacking the line anymore. They're reading things through and it doesn't look very good. And we go back to this game with a better offensive line, a better quarterback. Everything's better. Yeah. And they go in and just dominate the line of scrimmage. Linebackers are hitting gaps. Safeties are being aggressive. It's it's. We'll see it in the Kansas City Chiefs game. It's the way they play. It's fun to watch. It's exciting football. Of course, 
you're 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 creating single blocks for guys like Kenny Clark, guys like Devontae White to take on guards one on one. So you're giving you're giving your players an opportunity to be successful much more so than playing that kind of passive defensive style. So I'm a big fan of the whole thing. I hope they continue it. You were right in your initial gut feel, by the way. Kenny Pickett was three weeks ago. Brett Rippon was four weeks ago. So it was Rams with the win, Pickett with the loss, and then the two wins against the Chargers and the Alliance. So either way, same point stands. Uh, I want to stick – actually, I want to stick on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I had a question in a live Q&A last night about Isaiah McDuffie, and I know you've been really high on Isaiah McDuffie. I like Isaiah a lot, and I'll I'll be totally transparent. If there's a position that at some points is a little bit of a blind spot for me, it's off-ball linebacker. I love his intensity. I love his instincts. And I love that he's not afraid of anything. He'll attack behind the line of scrimmage. He'll attack at the line of scrimmage. He's just constantly looking for things to hit. And I love that mentality to be totally transparent. I'm not sure that I love any of the off ball linebackers all that much from Quay to Devante to McDuffie. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I know you like McDuffie a lot. And I just kind of wanted to give you the floor and just kind of say like what you've seen from him and what he's brought to the table. He's a football player. You know, you got like, like, I guess they're all football players, but when I think of when I think of old school, a, a guy that knows how to play downhill, a guy that knows how to sack and shed, they, that can attack a guard or center and be and do it successfully. There is a vacuum in the National Football League with linebackers that have the ability to do that, and he does it at a really high level. Now, is he does he have the range that Quay Walker does? Absolutely not. But we're not, you know. We're not using our linebackers like a lot. Remember when Quay got drafted? And this isn't a Quay versus Isaiah McDuffie thing, but you remember when Quay got drafted? The thing was like, oh, we can use him and we'll put him in the slot and he can cover the slot tight end. It's like, we do, we're not, we're not doing that. Oh, we'll, he's, he's not going to be a liability in zone. It's like, well, nobody's a liability in zone. Just teach him yeah. what the, you know, this isn't rocket science. So, for what you're trying to accomplish with six man boxes, I feel like you need to have a guy that is not afraid. To, if you put a fullback in the game, he's like, "Oh, thank yeah, God, man! It's, we're we're coming back. It's it's old school football again." And this guy's this guy's a check your chin strap guy. He plays. He's a very very smart player. He plays with good technique, but he's aggressive. And for me, a, an aggressive linebacker, defensive tackle, like those guys who are not only aggressive but kind of like the excessive so much compared to the rest of the group. They're excessively aggressive compared to the rest of the group. That resonates and starts transferring attitude wise to the rest of your defense. I think you see a different defense with him on the field than when he's not on the field. That's why I keep making a push. Like I don't care who's healthy, who's not healthy. That dude's got to be on the field because the identity of your defense changes when he's there and he changes for the better. It's interesting. Matt LaFleur was asked about this. I want to say like maybe like three weeks ago of like the way McDuffie was playing, even once Quay and Devondre got back, do they need to find a way to get him on the field I think he said either either yes or like that they were looking into that something to that extent. So it does seem that he's caught the eye of the coaching staff a little bit as well. Now, whether that actually comes to fruition or not, and when everyone's healthy, if McDuffie just goes back to a special team slash backup role, we will see. But I, I am there's a lot of things on defense that I'm going to be intrigued by when this team is at some point, if we ever get there, uh completely healthy, you know, from a cornerback spot. Do you put Jair and Carrington Valentine on the outside together when both of them have struggled as run defenders? Or do you want uh, Valentine in as one of those? Who are the two preferred safeties if all four of them are, are there and healthy? They've started four guys with varying levels of success. You've had the Isaiah McDuffie, Quay Walker, Devondre Campbell inside linebacker group. I'm really interested to see like what their preferred 11 is now once everyone is back healthy and uh, if it works or not. And if, if not, if they need to make some changes. Um Anything else you wanted to say on that before we jump to, to 
different topic. Uh, who do you who who would you put? Who are your back seven? Um, I think I would if if everyone's healthy, I would go Jair and I would still go Carrington. But I have some real serious concerns about run defense with that. But I, I'd still go Jair and Carrington, and then Nixon in the slot. Um, and then at safety, I would probably go Rudy Ford and Anthony Johnson Jr. I don't feel super convicted over that. If I had to guess, I think they'll go Rudy Ford and Darnell Savage. Yeah. The bigger reason for me is Anthony Johnson Jr. is like the only one that's under contract next year. And I think maybe provides a little bit long-term upside, but um, I don't have a strong feel about safety. I There was a couple uh, a play, it was last week or two weeks ago where Carrington was lined up in the slot and it just caught my eye. Now, I don't think he's going to be a good enough run defender in the slot either. So there, it would give me no. some pause there too, but in some obvious passing situations, I wouldn't necessarily hate maybe going like it will if Stokes is back. Maybe you go Stokes Jair outside with maybe Carrington inside just to see what it works. Or if you need to go Ballantyne on the outside, I'm talking in a lot of circles here, Mike, because I don't know that I have a great answer one way or the other. And I think, like I said, that's why I'm super kind of intrigued by it. How about you? So I'm not going to lie. When I'm in the middle of Packer season, I don't always eat the best. It's by far my busiest time of year. I don't have a ton of time to make healthy meals. And because of that, I end up eating a lot of unhealthy foods. And when I'm not eating healthy, my digestive system doesn't always feel the best. And I end up feeling less focused, more stressed. And it just feels like my immune system is fighting with an arm behind its back. That's why I tried AG1. I was tired of being tired and I was tired of being unfocused and I needed to kickstart my immune system and increase my energy. And when I started drinking AG1 daily, I could feel the difference in my digestive health and my daily energy. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. Not only did I replace my multivitamin with AG1, but I love that every scoop includes probiotics for gut support, B vitamins for energy, and zinc to help support my immune health. And that's why Packaday is proud to be sponsored by AG1. AG1 is the supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash packaday. That's drinkag1.com slash packaday. Check it out. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. One of my absolute favorite parts of the holidays is the joy of gift giving and trying to find that perfect gift for somebody that you care about so incredibly much. I've got two boys, 10 years old and six years old, and they are the absolute joy of my life. And watching them open those gifts and seeing the smiles on their faces is just about the best thing in the entire world. But one of the things that we often forget during the holidays is to remember to give to ourselves. Maybe that's in the form of a present, but it could also be the gift of taking a moment to enjoy the holidays. It could be treating yourself to a day of rest or maybe just enjoying your favorite meal. The best part is that you get to decide how to give to yourself. One other way that you can do that is by giving yourself the gift of therapy. And sometimes the holidays are the perfect time to start therapy or maybe even restart your therapy journey. Therapy continues to give me the tools that I need to live a happy, successful, and joyful life. Simply put, therapy is a beautiful journey to finding myself and making myself a better person. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. You can go online right now and find a therapy plan that's uniquely designed for you. In the season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash Packaday today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Packaday. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making Prize Picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Well, yeah, I think it's like, are you going to play with two safeties or three? Are you going to play against 12 or 21? Are you playing against... So for me, like Nixon, Nixon gets the nod unless they have four wide receivers in the game. Yeah. Right. I'll keep it. And then, and then all of a sudden I'm going to go, all right, well, I'll put in Carrington in, in, in the slot and we'll, we'll deal with the run with this, with the six box guys and we'll, we won't support it. Um, yep. I think that I, you know, for me, I would go, I keep going back to like, you have drafted Quay, like Quay Walker still doesn't take off. I love the way he's gotten so much better in my opinion. I, I agree. Um, yeah. Uh, um, but you drafted him to fulfill this role that he's not fulfilling because you don't give him the chance to. So I'm, I'm always like, if you've got us like, for me, if you're going to play zone and you got a stud that can sit outside the, the tackle box, go ahead and put him out there. I mean, I'm good with that. Like, I'm really good with that because I think he's a much better run defender out there than he is in the middle of the field anyways. So, yeah. And the, I, I wish they would find opportunities. And, of course, I want to see McDuffie in the middle. And they're not going to take out Divider because he was all pro two years ago. Like, we just, like, yep. just sent him a contract. So, we just know how that's going to work. But I would love to see opportunities with those three guys in the on the field because, in my opinion – the power of having Quay Walker is not what he brings to the nickel defense. It's what he brings when you can, or when he, what he brings in the box, it's all the stuff he was supposed to be able to do outside the box that really you don't give him credit for. You don't give him an opportunity to shine with. So I would, I don't know if this is the time, but I, for the last year and a half, I've been sitting going like, why don't we just put him out there and see what happens? Give him those opportunities instead of like dropping Preston Smith over there and, and running your base. Like, I think there's just different ways to use this personnel. When you get those really good athletes, Bill Belichick taught us 20 years ago that if you have a, a, a Willie McGinnis and you have a Mike Vrabel, like before anybody else was doing that stuff, and they have a little bit different skill set, take their hand off the ground, let them pull, drop every once in a while, make them, you know, make them crunch the tight end and then brush. Remember they used to do that? They used to smash yeah, the oh, yeah. slot receiver. I mean, all of this stuff is still on the table, right? It's like retro clothing, man. It comes back into style. You just got to figure out the way it fits. And, I think there's opportunities to do more with the personnel still, but I think it's a t- you're absolutely right. It's a it's a tough it's a tough question because of the the run support on the outside has not been very good. 
No, it has not. Do you have any appetite? Uh, I've seen a couple of people post this. I'm not a huge fan of it, but I'd be curious your thoughts. Do you have an appetite for Darnell in the slot over Keyshawn yeah. Nixon? Yeah. Uh, over Keyshawn Nixon. Um, y- yes, if it means keeping Rudy Ford on the field. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, you know what? I, I'm going to say yes. And the reason I'm going to say yes is because historically, I feel like when he's down, He's better in run support. So I'm, I'm kind of saying this like I will just say everybody, in my opinion, is kind of the same in past, uh, past in the past game except for Jair. Yep. And and so then I'm going to go, okay, well, who's a better run support guy? And I think when he has to come downhill in the channel, I think he's been really bad. But when he's at the line of scrimmage already or he's playing in the box, I think that he does a pretty good job. Yep. So I would rather just have him standing up there to begin with and have to travel less. Like I guess more speed, the worse in this situation. He's such an interesting player because he's kind of like a box safety that's not built like a box safety at all. Like he does do better in the robber roles, the, you know, intermediate and short zones and kind of being in the box as a run defender. But you look at him, you're like, you can't really play him that way because he's just undersized. But it, he's an interesting player. I, I wouldn't hate it. And I'd be intrigued as to, what, as to what they do. I think the big thing, if we're taking anything away from this, is that. Joe Barry does have some options that he can do in a variety of different spots. I think he's been a little bit more creative over the past couple of weeks, but I think there's still a lot more opportunity to be more creative. And maybe when he has his full cupboard of, of players in the defensive backfield, maybe that will allow him to do so. We shall see. It makes it so much easier when your guys are winning up front, though. Like all, all of this talk, everything looks good when, when Kenny Clark's pulling the three technique or, you know, pulling the yep. guard. Like it, it just everything's good. It, it's it's just when your guys are when when you can't run outside because your guys are setting the edge, everything just seems to work out a little bit better. It really, really does, and hopefully that just continues to be the case because that would be awesome. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Jordan Love uh, and move kind of the offensive side of the ball. I think he's coming off the best game. He's had a really awesome month. He's playing pretty impressive football, as you mentioned at the onset. Still plenty to clean up. When he plays in rhythm, he's pretty dang good and pretty darn clean. Uh, when he kind of gets a little bit more off platform and off schedule, then some things can kind of go a little bit more haywire. You don't get the ball placement and the accuracy. That's mm-hmm. quite the same. The same token, some of the arm angles and stuff that he's throwing from sometimes is fun and sometimes is, uh, you know, you get some results from it. But uh, I think overall better over the course of the, the the past month and certainly this past week. Yeah. Jordan Love is um... – He's just a, he's just a young player, and you know the the comparisons are always just going to be difficult because we you, you close your eyes and you see the arm talent. Um, he doesn't have the arm talent, and he doesn't have um, what's the word? He doesn't have the con- like the arm confidence that like an Aaron Brett Favre. Brett's like there's a, here's a story about Brett that kind of tells you everything you need to know, right? So so Holmgren, this is my rookie year, I think, and and Brett throws it into double coverage in practice. And they, like we wanted to throw it to Freeman, and he threw it to Brooks, and and the get, ball gets picked off, and so Mike loses it, and uh, they go back and they run it again. You know, there's a lot of expletives. We run it again, so Brett just winds up and throws it even harder and sl- hits Brooks right in the chest, and he runs for a touchdown. <laughs> I mean, because he's just like, there's no, there's no throw I can't make, right? So there's there's that level of confidence and and deserve confidence because your arm strength that. You're just not dealing with the same kind of player now. And he does a lot of things with feet and everything. He's got, he's got, uh, he's a very athletic player. I think when you look at Jordan now, you said it. If he gets his pre-snap recognition and makes decisions early, and his feet are planted, he throws the ball well. Where you see real, real areas of opportunity are one, two. You got to get the gimme throws down. Like, yeah, 
Just hit the gimme throws. You got five more first downs a game. Simple. So do the gimme throws. I'm talking about, you know, if, if it's a wide receiver tunnel screen, hit him on the right side of the uh, of the numbers so he can go the right direction. If it's yep. an arrow route, hit him in, in stride so he can turn up field. Just little things. So those are the little ones. And then the second thing is, even in this game, the reason that he underthrows balls is because he has good feet. He doesn't have great footwork. And he throws off his back foot a lot. And he yep. throws a lot of just arm-only balls. He's not engaging in his lower body. And once he uh, does that subconsciously, once he does that automatically, you're going to see he's going to have four, five, six more uh, completions a game. And all of a sudden, this thing looks a lot different. But mechanics are really important. It's not just pre-snap recognition. It's not just I'm, right, I'm drawing up the scheme to make sure that you do this well. It Footwork and mechanics and, and being able to whip the ball out with velocity and speed and accuracy actually still do mean something in the National Football League, despite what Tom Brady might be saying. And and you have to, you know, you have to have great mechanics. Tom Brady, perfect example, best footwork in the league, not the best feet, the best footwork. Right. So when you have the best footwork in the league, when you have elite level mechanics, you can just execute at a much, much higher level. So I think the next step for Jordan is. One, continue to build on the relationship for pre-snap recognition, communication, and execution with your first and second wide receivers and tight ends. And then number two, really this offseason, just become a master of your craft from a footwork standpoint. Because if you, if you get better feet, you're going to be a much, much better player. It's funny because I think there's a lot of really positive things that he picked up from Aaron. The I wonder if the throwing off the back foot and kind of some fadeaway throws is something that he also picked up from Aaron. Because later in his career, Aaron would throw off his back foot um, quite often, not all the time. He, Aaron obviously threw a ton with really great mechanics as well, but um, definitely later in his career, he started to throw off his back foot a little bit more. By the way, certainly there's, a positive. There's yeah, like there's a there's a little thing there though, Andy. That's different, right? It's so when you say you throw off your back foot, I'm talking about the way your your hips flip when you when like like for him, his, his right hip needs to come around, and sometimes right. it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't, right? With Aaron or with Brett, like Brett could throw from any damn place, but yep. When that ball came out, you knew it was coming because, like, if he would, if you would have had a ripcord on his right hip, that thing was slingshotting into the atmosphere, right? And yep. so, it's some of these guys. What we what we do as what a lot of coaches do is as they'll go to Jordan, like, I want your feet to be like this. So they have to be two and a half feet foot, away, you know, away, and then you got to step, you got to pivot, you got to rotate, and they'll put twenty devices on you. And really, all we're talking about is like, throw, dude, throw with your lower body. Your, your arm is the last thing that you should worry about. Everything should be through your lower body, and then and then it gets a lot easier. Yeah, it does. And I, I, I'm hopeful that that will come with time. I am with you. I think that's going to be something that he has to work on in the offseason. I don't think it's all of a sudden going to click um, some point in the season. But I do think it's something that he can get oh, with time. And I do feel like there's times, too, where, again, when he's in rhythm and he, when he goes to the play and, like you said, has the pre-snap read and everything like that, and everything is so clean – I feel like once he gets off of that part of it's, you know, kind of like you mentioned too, where it's just kind of his natural habit and things like that. You can, I also feel like at times, and you, you can definitely disagree with me on this um, and just tell me if I'm an idiot, but it feels like there are times where he's having multiple like coaches throughout his time in the, you know, college NFL off season, everything kind of go through his mind. It just almost feels like he's thinking out there still of like, how do I want to throw this ball instead of like you said with Brett, where, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't have to, like, he was going to rip the ball to Robert Brooks, like through the defender. And he just had that confidence to do it. It feels like almost at times where Jordan's kind of still thinking through it. Like, how do I want to get the air under the ball? Or do I not want to get the air under the ball instead of just kind of getting it, hitting his drop and ripping it? Yeah, I think, well, 
the idea that he's not automatic with his footwork now, like in a, like in other words, what does a quarterback need to be automatic with? His throwing motion. Yep. What is an what does an offensive lineman need to be automatic with? His first two steps and his pass set. You know, what does a wide receiver need to be automatic with? How he comes out of a break. Like there's very what are the most basic thing that you have to be automatic with so you don't have to think while you're doing it? Well, for him it would be his footwork. And I think you're right. I I don't know if you ever watched Bryce Young struggle yeah, in Carolina. Yeah, his his footwork is um his footwork demonstrates that he's not being taught footwork. Okay. And yep. and I think with a lot of these new I don't know what they're doing in Green Bay, but certainly the priority I think this offseason needs to be, whether it's and this is the hard part too, whether it's the Green Bay coaching staff or if he's working with Quincy Avery or one of those guys in the offseason, his footwork needs to be automatic regardless of what it is if it's automatic and he doesn't have to think about it and he just feels great with it you'll you'll never consider it again you practice it every day it's just part of your routine and once you get automatic with that you become more of a read and react athlete you process information faster you got more brain power to do it so there's all that science behind it right but at the base level it's like i don't care who it is if you don't have enough time with your coach or if your coach you don't feel is equipped to go through that process with you then go find somebody else you know, it's like somebody asked me on our on the on our show today. Why do offensive linemen develop or not develop? I, well, don't blame the coaches. If the coaches aren't giving you what you need, and baby, you ain't doing it, you better go find somebody who's going to give you what you need. You know, yeah. because it, it it might not that that might not be the guy, or might that might be the, not be the environment. But you, it, if it's if you're not doing it, it's not on them. It's on you because it's your career. Yeah, that's really smart and really well said. And like I said, I do think hopefully this next offseason he's going to be able to get some of that down, and we might even see a better Jordan Love in 2024, which would obviously be very exciting. Uh, let's jump to Packers Chiefs before we get you out of here. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball for the Chiefs. Mahomes, Kelsey, they're going to present a lot of problems. Obviously, this Andy Reid offense has been very successful, successful for a very long time. Hasn't been quite clicking the way that maybe it has in the past at times. As you mentioned, they've had some drops and some things that haven't gone completely according to plan, but still a very dangerous offense and will will beat you in a variety of different ways if you let them. Travis Kelsey's having a, you know, I think 70, 70 receptions so far, having a big year. Um, it's really interesting. They were everybody else was playing so bad. There were so many drops, so many, you know, just not production that teams are double teaming, like the Raiders double team Kelsey for most of the game. And so when you watch the Raiders game, you sit and go, well, they're not. Andy Reid's still, you know, for me, if he's not the best play caller, he's number two behind Shanahan in, in the league. And, his, and, and the length of which he's done it, I think he's the top five head coach in the National Football League all time. Yeah. I just think, to, to me, you don't, you're not going to find a group that um, has been more successful with better player buy-in, and there's nothing ever coming out of that locker room. I mean, he's just, they've just figured out how to win and how to be successful. So I think they're really innovative with their play calls. Um, they get people – you watch the tape. There are people, I mean, wide open. Not like Tyree Kill open, but like wide open all over the place. And it's just a question of whether guys make catches or not. Or I should say there's two things. If you can get to Patrick Mahomes and make him a treat, retreat away from the line of scrimmage, you're going to have success. So if when he runs towards the line of scrimmage, in other words, if you have pass rush lane integrity and you force him away from the line of scrimmage, he does not complete a lot of balls. If you let him run towards the line of scrimmage, dude, it's like 30-yard handoffs. That's all it is, right? So if you can do that and you just – the other, but the other part of it is 
their guys just made catches last week. Rasheed Rice just caught the ball. He still had a drop, but like he caught five balls that he you know didn't catch the week before, and he had 108 yards and a touchdown. So it's really that simple. They run a lot of crossers, and they run a lot of stuff away from Kelsey. If you don't double Kelsey, he sits down in the zone. He's got his own route tree. If you if you if you double cross if you double Kelsey, they got three other dudes out. They're going to find somebody open, and they do a great job of pushing everybody down the field, and then doing a two for one at the line of scrimmage. Which one of these guys do you want to catch? I'll throw it to the flat. He's ten yards open, or I'll throw it. I'll throw the check down. He's ten yards open because you you got the same guy trying to guard too. So they do a great job of just creating opportunities to be successful, and they turn two yard gains into ten yard gains better than anybody in the league. How important is it for Green Bay's defensive front to maintain their rush lanes and not let Patrick Mahomes get out? And what were your thoughts of Donovan Smith and Juwan Taylor on the outside and how Preston and Gary might be able to win against those two? Yeah, so I think Juwan Taylor, he might still be leading the league in penalties. Um, he's got the whole offsides, is he, is he anything? Yeah. But Donovan Smith just, you know, Donovan Smith is a great player in this league. He's just, you know, he's on the wrong side of 30. It just is what it is, right? So he's 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 not as good as he used to be, but he's there's still – playing you know, decent football. I think the interior is very good. Um, pass rush integrity. We've been hot and cold on the on pass rush lanes as far as integrity of the pass rush lanes. We showed it on, on, on tape multiple times. The thing with Patrick Mahomes is when he gets going downhill, he can literally throw to any penny you put on the grass on any place in front of him, all over the field. Yeah. But if you get him running away from the – ball's going out of bounds. Almost every – it's almost like clockwork. If you get him going the wrong direction, he's not throwing the ball downfield anymore. If the ball's going out of bounds, he'll throw it away. Or he'll try to, or that's where, you know, you have some of these kind of passes that you want him to get, you know, put in the air. But if he goes downhill, it's a real problem. Now, with Rashawn and, and, and Preston, this is the challenge, right? Especially with Rashawn Gary, who, you know, one thing that I always say in order to take the next step, Rashawn's got to stop going over the top of guys in hopes to get strip sacks and, and start pressuring the guy in the pocket and forcing him to go away. It could never be more true than, than this week because those middle three guys and 91 from the Raiders did a good job. I think pressing up against their right guard a couple of times, but Joe, Joe Thune and Creed, they're, they're really good players. You're not yeah. going to get a ton of free shots off those guys. I don't care how our guys are playing and I hope they get great push, but those are three really good players inside those two tackles. You should be able to eat on. I mean, we're talking eight pressures, you know, from, you know, combined from both of those two guys, they should be, you know, breathing down Mahomes' neck at least eight times this week. And I think the big deal is a lot of times Preston will do a better job, I think, of coming at level to Mahomes where he's, where he's set up and force him north and south, force him out of the pocket versus we can't just go with Rashawn around the top and let him exit to the right downhill. That's good for the Chiefs, bad for the Packers. So I expect those guys to win both. I think with Jawan Taylor in particular – it's fine that he sets back. I really do think you can inside stab, bull rip, go inside to that lane, force Mahomes outside, and then it's just a question of do you want to spy him with with Quay Walker? Do you want do you want to have Devontae doing a loop like you run the natural mesh TE or ETs where we're going to have um, Rashawn Gary take the B gap, but it's going to be a power move. It's not going to be a pick. And then Devontae White just understands, okay, this means that I have to have outside contain and I'm going to chase him down. So there's a lot of things you can do with your pass rush plan this week. But, yeah, it's – it's imperative that you don't give that guy too much time and you don't let him go downhill. Cause those are just, it's like he threw a pass last week against their middle linebacker to Kelsey. I'm sure you've seen it, but yeah. he threw a pass. that was like a 35 yard handoff. He just literally placed right over the dude's shoulder, missed him by two inches. And you're going, 
That's impossible. Yeah. You know, it's just yeah. impossible. So he, he's, he's so good. Yeah, that integrity up front is going to be huge in this game. Jumping over to the other side, everyone knows Kansas City for Kelsey Mahomes in this offense, but their defense is playing lights freaking out under Spagnolo. Yeah. They're not allowing any points. McDuffie's playing amazing in the slot. You've got Chris Jones, who's a constant issue. Karloftis is playing better. Like This is a really, really good Chiefs defense. I, Isaiah McDuffie, uh, young star in this league. Trent really, McDuffie, right? uh, sorry, Trent, sorry, Trent McDuffie is a young star in this league. I, I think, I think from a playmaking standpoint, he reminds me a lot of making Fitzpatrick. Maybe not physically, but he just like that mentality. He just seems he just seems to be one of those dudes who just has it. He covers ground, tackles for loss. I mean, as far as like being able to fill at that position, and then also being a great cover guy, he's just kind of got it all. Um, Chris Jones has seven and a half sacks. He's probably the second best defensive tackle in the league. He has been for a couple of years. He's really, really good. Um, he destroyed their center on a couple of plays this last weekend. But what I love about the the, the Spagnuolo defense, it's pressure is a premium. And so they're pressuring from the slot. They're pressuring with the linebackers. They listen. They do some old school stuff where they're 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 bringing five on one side, dropping two the backside of the other. The linebackers are going from on the line of scrimmage, just trying to cover the slot on the other side. Like they're bringing everything they got. And so it's going to be so important for Jordan Love and these young receivers to be on the same page. Just when we talk about pre-snap recognition, like they will stack the, the, the safety over the slot when they're, when the slot's coming, it might be late, but you got to see it. You got to be able to do some verbal and nonverbal communication and you have to be able to execute because when you bring pressure, you're still going to have time. And the biggest thing is you're going to get one-on-ones. You're going to have hot routes, but there are explosive opportunity plays. And the other thing is, Christian Watson has caught a couple passes now. If they decide to bracket him and you ID the bracket, you have one-on-one on the other side. And we, yeah. I think we have a lot of guys on this team, Dobbs and Reed in particular, Musgrave's out, but Dobbs and Reed in particular, that you would feel really good about taking your chances on one-on-one matches with no safety. And you're going to have those opportunities. So it's like you just got to capitalize on, on the options because I think they're giving up like 17 points a game. Like they're a really, really good team. And the thing that is – well, it blew my mind when I read this stat. They're like fourth in the league, giving up 176 yards in the air. Who the hell's number three and two you – know, who gives up less than 176 oh, yards? That's a ridiculous – if your quarterback throws for 176 yards, he ain't your yeah. quarterback anymore. You're getting a yeah. new one. Like that's a terrible – that's a bad stat line for eighth grade. You know what I mean? So they're playing really, really high level. They do a good job of uh, getting – quarterbacks to get rid of the ball early on third down they tackle in front of the sticks get the ball back to Mahomes they're really efficient at what they do and Jordan loves passed some quizzes lately I feel like he's got a massive test this week against Spagnolo, especially just kind of the you know kind of bookends of his first start as a a quarterback was against Spagnolo, and they just blitz the heck out of him and in Green Bay Matt LaFleur has taken a ton of um you know the blame on that specific game for not having a better game plan but I think this is going to be a huge test for Jordan and, you know, the other big thing, too, is you mentioned Jaden Reed having all the success. He didn't practice for a second consecutive time on Thursday. Um, if he can't go, that would be a massive blow for Green Bay's offense as well. They'd still have, obviously, Watson and Dobbs and Dontavian Wicks is back from concussion protocol. But if for some reason they're without Jaden Reed and Luke Musgrave, and of course they're going to be without Musgrave, but th those would be two pretty big – and Jones, too, not practicing. Like well, Those are some big playmakers that uh, would be would potentially be out for this game. So that, that inactive list is going to be massive for Green Bay. Yeah, no doubt, because especially when you think about Reed and then Jones, obviously, but we're still not running the ball very well. 
I mean, no. you just you you take away the 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 read and the and the and the scrambles by Love. You're averaging like three point two, three point two yards a carry last week. I mean, it's not good. It's not pretty. It, you're not moving bodies. So, how do you generate? I don't know that you you. I don't know that you try to get in a shootout with Patrick Mahomes. No, nope. I, I wouldn't. So, how do you stay on schedule? Well, you got to win first and second down. You got to be able to run the ball effectively at some point. And against this team without Aaron Jones, you know, the big question for me is you know, get rid of, so let's just take Jaden Reed out of it because you hope he gets a couple of reverses and, you know, jet sweeps and, and he does well. But just fundamentally, with A.J. Dillon, everyone thinks he's a downhill inside zone guy, right? But if, if he has to jump cut going downhill constantly, stop, yep. move to the left or right, start again, it's been proven that he's not really effective. Nope. So it's like, do we, what do you do differently? Do you turn it into a, a an outside or a middle zone team exclusively where he's got a predetermined one cut downhill? Do you turn him into a gap player that he's running outside the tight end all the time? Where again, it's kind of determined, predetermined one cut downhill, but you're a little bit, you feel a little bit more secure as opposed to like your downhill ability, downhill run block and fill gaps with linebackers. So that. That whole run game plan, I think, will be really interesting this this week as well because they really haven't figured out or cracked the code on what we do well up front and then what he's going to be able to make you look good doing just being the, the primary back and talking about A.J. Dillon. This would be a great week to figure it out and actually get that run game going and find some success on the ground. We'll see if they can actually do it. Mike, phenomenal stuff as always. Where can we find all of your great work, the podcast, Twitter, anything else you want to plug? Yeah, Michael 68 on Twitter. Uh, check out the uh, On My Block podcast. It's on the Process to Perform channel on YouTube. Hit that. I've been told that you got to hit the like button, Andy. So, that, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. So I just put together some content and then I uh, just put it out. But this guy, this guy hits me up and he says, hey, you know, you got to ask the people to hit that like button for you because that, that messes with the algorithm. I said, hey, man, good looking out. Appreciate you. <laughs> So. I'm really bad with that stuff too. I just like, well, we've got a great community of people who follow the podcast and I just hope that they're all smart enough to do all that stuff. So I don't have to tell them all the time, but yes, go follow him and hit the like button, hit the like button here. If you want as well, follow the podcast at Packaday podcast. You can, can follow him at Mike wall 68. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL for Mike, for me, that's all for us today until next time. And as always go pack, go. Go.